Grab your leg warmers and your boombox. We're taking a trip back to the 80s. This is Songs in My Head. Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of Songs in My Head, a music nerd podcast for music nerds by music nerds. Uh, As always, I'm Josh, joined by Kristen. Say hey. Hello. And uh, we decided to do something a little different for this episode. We decided to actually give ourselves a theme. Um... Instead of an accidental theme, we went with an intentional theme. Right. Instead of accidentally giving ourselves a theme, we intentionally went with a theme. Um, So this week, we're taking a trip back into the 80s and talking about two very, very iconic pop stars. I mean, I I guess... Yeah. I mean, but, you know, one is definitely a pop star. The other one teeters on the, the edge of pop r&b and like rock music yeah so we'll, we'll get into that though um how have you been good how have you been i've been i've been <laughs> uh just been listening to a lot of music uh probably more than i need to because it was distracting me away from listening to my album a little bit i'll be honest because i I had a little bit of a tough time with this album at first so but i think after like my seventh listen it started (laughs) to warm up a little bit so the album that you gave me was uh true blue by madonna which i mean obviously madonna is one of like the biggest female artists biggest pop artists maybe even to come out of the 80s uh, you know next to Michael Jackson yeah I mean arguably as far as female artists I yeah think she's the absolutely I mean her and Whitney Houston are probably the only two from the 80s that I think have you know had any continued success even right uh, so this is her third studio album um, it was released June 30th 1986 so, but interestingly enough, uh, I remember we were talking about it last night a little bit. The first uh, single from the album, which whatever one it was, escapes me right now. But I do remember that it was released like three months before the album even came out, which I thought was kind of odd. But I guess you know, the music industry was a little bit different then. They, things were a lot more single based. Yeah. Whereas now it's just like, how good is the whole album? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, now releasing a single is just as easy as, you know. Right. Getting it out for streaming. Right. Um, so I did notice that uh, she made it a very, very big clear point through the whole, the whole articles and things that I read to say that uh, the album was inspired by and dedicated to her then-husband, Sean Penn, which I always forget that they were married. (laughs) Um, 
and it features actually a lot of uh additional instrumentation that she didn't use on her previous two albums a lot more a lot more like live uh instruments uh as well as what they called cuban musical instruments didn't specify what they were just said <laughs> cuban musical instruments i i don't know that that could be a bongos <laughs> congas That'd i have be, no idea could be anything um one thing is that uh the the critics when it actually released they said that um her voice sounded stronger on this album than it did on her previous two albums so it was definitely like a bigger maturity yeah for her which i mean you know obviously after doing it for you know two full albums once you get into your third album you start start to feel a little more comfortable right right so but i feel like by this album she was like trying some different things because i'm trying to remember what two albums came out before but i know one of them was like holiday borderline and a lot of that had the same poppy sound wasn't the one right before that like a virgin i think so but i'm thinking the first one is probably yeah yeah i mean I feel like her initial albums were probably more like bubblegum pop. Yeah. Whereas this album was more, a little more mature as far as like, you know, expressing more, more like love and sexuality and really starting to get into the things that made Madonna Madonna eventually later on going into the 90s. Well, the interesting thing about that now, now that I'm thinking about it, is, you know, this album, the reason I chose it is because it was my first first album that I ever purchased, but also my first exposure to Madonna. And now that I'm thinking about it, um, you said Like a Virgin was right before, and there's probably a reason that I wasn't allowed to hear that album at, like, eight years old, because, you know, questions. That makes sense, yeah. (laughs) So I was pretty familiar with, you know, Holiday and Borderline and a few of those songs, but probably skipped right over. Probably. (laughs) Probably. That that was probably a good idea. Naive, you know, seven or eight-year-old. Well, you know, we'll get into that. (laughs) Um, And from what I read... When when it was released, it was an immediate global success. Um, it hit number one in 28 countries, which was like a huge record-breaking thing at the time. Um, countries including Australia, Canada, France, Germany, the UK, and the United States. So, like, that's pretty big. Yeah. I mean, I, I was I was pretty impressed by that. I mean having worldwide exposure like that especially like when you look at the time frame i mean you're you're thinking 1986 that's the peak of you know the cold war and everything you know so obviously like american made music isn't reaching a lot of european countries as yeah. quickly you know so i i thought that was pretty interesting yeah um and it was on the the top of the European Top 100 charts for 34 weeks, which is wild. Yeah. 
I think she actually that was her first time appearing in the Guinness Book of World Records which is kind of cool um, this was also the top selling album of 1986 and the best selling album of the 80s by a female artist which again impressive when you have you know other powerhouse artists like you mentioned Whitney Houston yeah um, a lot of the other female artists I listened to were kind of a one-off, like right. one or two albums. Right. So that does make sense. Yeah. And actually, uh, like we were saying before, um, she's credited as being, or this album is credited as being the album that established her as the biggest female artist of the 80s. And, you know, it made her rival some of her male counterparts like Michael Jackson and Prince. So, you know, a little nod to to your your pick, which we'll talk about later. Yep. Um, So just to get into the tracks a little bit, uh, you know, I I try to dive as deeply as I could. um, But like you like we were talking about a little bit earlier some of these the messages behind the tracks are pretty straightforward um you know i mean not a lot of information behind it because there's not too much to read into it exactly so uh the opening track i mean i would say easily it's one of the most iconic madonna tracks well i wouldn't i mean like not like the top it's up there. But I would say top five, for sure. Um, which is Papa Don't Preach. Um, clearly, obviously, in the title. Now, I'm going to say obviously because my lovely co-host, at the age of eight, obviously, didn't necessarily understand <laughs> the content matter of said song. Which is understandable. Of I, course not. I get it. Yeah. Um, but in case any of you listeners out there did not know what the song (laughs) Papa Don't Preach is about. I know now. (laughs) It's about a young woman who tells her father that she's pregnant, out of wedlock, naughty naughty. (laughs) But she's going to keep her baby anyways. Because she's a strong, independent woman that don't need no man. Except that she's going to stay with the father. Right. Because he's he's a good guy. And he treats her right. And she makes sure to say that, like, a whole lot yeah, in the song. <laughs> but, you, you know what? Good for him. Right. Good for him. Um, one thing I did find that was kind of interesting, though, is um, they talked to the producer, one of the producers of the album. And he said that part of the lyrics and the inspiration for the song was actually based on... Uh, gossip that he heard in passing I guess there was a high school right nearby the studio and he heard like high school girls gossiping as they were passing by because I think it said that like the uh, the window of the studio was like a double sided window so the outside was mirrored Okay. so the girls would like stop and you know check their makeup and their hair while they were gossiping about you know oh my god tina's such a slut 
<laughs> she got pregnant with Ricky. Oh my fucking god. So You do that a little too well. I know, right? <laughs> uh so I thought that was kind of interesting, you know, kind yeah. of kind of a an interesting song concept. Right. Um so to follow that up was Open Your Heart, which again, another really big Madonna hit. Um the whole song is a big innuendo. Oh right. I mean it it's it's just an innuendo laden love song where she's basically just saying like Hey boy, I want you bad. <laughs> but like in a really, really subtly not so subtle kind of way. Um I did find out something very interesting about that song, though. It was originally written as a rock and roll song for Cindy Lauper. Um, and she initially turned it down. But the song originally was called Follow Your Heart. Oh. And then when she turned it down, it was offered to... The Temptations, which, <laughs> okay. Um, so, you know, it went through, it was written with other artists in mind, and then when nobody else took it, Madonna found interest in it and, you know, added more lyrics and put her own, right. her own flair on it. So I thought that was kind of interesting, though. I mean, especially when you consider an artist like Cyndi Lauper. I mean, like, you know... That's no scrub as far as, like... <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, as far as, like, influential artists through the 80s. I mean, Cyndi Lauper was a pretty big... But rock and roll song? I mean, I yeah, wouldn't have I know. considered that, that... I almost wonder if there's maybe, like... Um, okay, well, like, I know with your artist, which we'll talk about later... Uh, he underwrote for a ton of artists, but he also did master recordings for them so that they could hear the vision of the song that he wrote. So, like, I almost wonder if there's maybe, like, a master version of this song somewhere that's a completely different, right. like, variety to the actual, like, song itself. It'd be interesting to find. Yeah. So, after that comes the song White Heat, which I thought was kind of a cool song, because it had some old uh, quotes from, what was it, a James Cagney movie with the same name. The movie was, like, from 1949, sounded like it was some sort of like cops and robbers gangster kind yeah. of movie i mean i've never i had never heard of it before that yeah, me either. but actually i guess in the album liner uh she dedicated the song to james cagney who i guess is one of her favorite actors so you know it's it's kind of cool that they were able to incorporate the the quotes from the original movie 
right. into the song. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but it, it basically is like a declaration of empowerment in your relationship. So basically kind of standing up for yourself to your significant other, not letting them walk all over you. So it was kind of a cool song though. Yeah. I like I definitely like the message and the quotes that they added into it were cool. Yeah, that was a song that I kind of overlooked as a kid. Um, because I enjoyed the more poppy stuff. But I remember I remember the quotes. I remember the song. I mean it's it's good. I think it's one of those ones that I appreciate more now. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And then um White Heat followed up by Live to Tell. Um, which, interestingly enough, the song was actually initially intended for the soundtrack for a romantic drama film called Fire, Fire with Fire. Hmm. But then the studio ended up turning down the musical score. So when the studio turned it down, the producer offered the music itself to Madonna and she really liked it so she picked it up and added lyrics and everything to it so I thought that was kind of cool yeah but then actually she took the track wrote it out and then put it in a Sean Penn movie called At Close Range so kind of cool that it eventually still got used in a movie yeah um but the the lyric breakdown that I saw for it essentially is like it kind of presents um, like a confessional narrative that acknowledges and kind of like makes an attempt at making good on the skeletons in your closet, you know, and just kind of acknowledging your past and trying to better yourself for your future so kind of a a deep i would say probably as far as like lyrical meaning i think this song probably has the deepest lyrical meaning behind it yeah plus um i feel like it's one of the more emotional like the songs the emotional depth on this album absolutely yeah it, it definitely is a very emotional song you know, and what way to follow up an emotional song, but with a completely throwaway track like "Where's the Party"? Well, that's where you flip the tape over, and then get to where yeah. The party. I know you still you still gotta make sure that like I I remember that sometimes because <laughs> like the first couple times I listened to this, I had the same thing that happened when I listened to Abbey Road, where it was like this doesn't make any sense. But then when you put it like that, where's the party leads into more of like a poppy, playful side of the album. Does that make me like it any more than I did? <laughs> no. It's a throwaway. Yeah. It's fluff. I don't think it really... I don't think it really needed to be there. And like you were actually saying, and one thing that I read is that it echoes her 1983 hit, Holiday. So they may as well just called it Holiday 2. Electric, Electric Boogaloo. Boogaloo. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? 
Um, but it's just, it's just a, a very whimsical song about finding the party. Finding the party. Because apparently <laughs> they didn't fucking know where it was. I guess. Um, after Where's the Party comes the title track to the album, which I I think is close to one of my favorites on the album. Um, just because like the the vibe is really cool because it's like it's like a nod to where she grew up because um, she grew up in Detroit so you know that's like the heart of Motown and the song definitely has like a doo-wop yeah like it has the time signature and like the actual like music musicianship Ooh, that's a tough word um is very like doo-wop like old school you know four tops temptations oh yeah i definitely felt, felt yeah. that coming through so i think that was one reason why i really liked it it's just because the song itself is just kind of like a like a cool vibe um but again it's it's another song that's inspired by sean penn <laughs> and it's it's basically just a love song yeah that just um and she actually it's it's more inspired from him because it's a quote that he used often saying that his love for her was true blue hmm. and uh you know basically just saying like you know how pure his vision of love at the time was so it's kind of it's kind of adorable yeah when you really think about it uh, amidst all the other things on this album, to have a song like that that has such like a, a randomly like, oh, that's so pure, like kind of, <laughs> kind of vibe to it is kind of funny. Um, after that is uh, La Isla Bonita, which um, it's a song. The pretty island. The pretty island. The the beautiful <laughs> island, I oh. actually think is the direct translation. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, how dare you. <laughs> um, oh, I dared. So, obviously, this is where the the Cuban musical instruments were keyed <laughs> in. Um, I don't know, I really struggled with this song. I mean, I know that it was like a single and everything, but like... It just it felt out of place on the album in general and I don't know the thing that I read about how she didn't even know where San Pedro was just really bothered me <laughs> well I mean you and I touched on this in another conversation and we won't go into a lot of depth here but um the whole Spanish thing. Yeah, I mean, like... It just seemed a little cringy. It's just, yeah, it's a little cringy. And then, like, when you read that, like, in the music video, she plays, like, a devout Catholic woman and a Latin woman. I don't know, man. I don't know. Back in the 80s, things weren't the same as they are now. And I think oh, yeah. I this mean, is probably one of those that doesn't really hold up right. because of, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, and like in all the things that I read, she said constantly that this song was 
her tribute to the beauty and mystery of Latin American people. Mystery as in she doesn't know where San Pedro is. Right. <laughs> right. And I was like... Okay. Okie doke. All right. All right. Um, interesting point, though. Something that I read. Uh, this is another track that wasn't originally offered to her. Originally, it was offered to Michael Jackson to be on his bad album but he I think it was just the music I don't think that it was the actual lyrics plus Michael Jackson probably knew where San Pedro was <laughs> um, but I can't picture him singing anything in Spanish no but I know the feel, the feel of it I guess musically I could but I don't think I could at this time I could see this song being, like the music line, I could see it being a Michael Jackson in the 90s song, but not not 80s Michael Jackson. He, it was more... It was more deep-rooted in the R&B funk kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah well, I think I just, that was just because you said about the bad album. Right, especially like, on that album. It just but yeah, wouldn't... he tried a lot of different stuff going towards the 90s, so mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I can see it, I guess. Absolutely. Um, so then the track after that is Jimmy Jimmy, which is, again, another one of those, like weird nothing tracks that just did nothing for me other than being a weird like the lyrics about like how he just needs a good licking and like <laughs> a figurative licking or <laughs> Ooh. I don't know um yeah I was never really into it, that song everything either. I read though just said that this was her a song that was like her admiration for the neighborhood bad boy. And in an interview that I read, she was saying that like, she kind of came up with the lyrics imagining like, what if she grew up in the same neighborhood as James Dean? Which I think maybe might have inspired the title of the track. Yeah. Um, one point that I thought was very interesting and also kind of made me laugh is that this is the only song on the album that she's never performed live. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> and I was like, man, I can't imagine why. Because it's fucking dumb. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Like, <laughs> I don't know. And then to finish out the album... Uh, the song Love Makes the World Go Round. Um, which is, I mean, it's it's kind of like a, a call for unity and peace and understanding. And a lot of the critical things that I read about it said that uh, it kind of recalled the anti-war music from the 60s. So, yeah. and I actually saw something that, or several sources that said that, like, uh, she performed it for the first time during Live Aid. Well, that makes sense. So, that makes sense. I mean, sure. Yeah. It was an okay song. Yeah, I mean, it was a good way to end it on a positive note. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, 
But it definitely wasn't one of the hits that are on the album. No. No, I think the there were five five singles that she released from this album. It was uh Papa Don't Preach, Open Your Heart, uh Live to Tell. Live to Tell True Blue and La Isla Bonita. I think yeah. were the I believe were the five I think you're right. Um so I mean I could definitely see the the single power behind those. Yeah. Um I mean overall it's not necessarily an album that I would go back to like often. Some of the tracks definitely. Like I was just going to ask what you might have in your rotation. I could see myself definitely putting like Papa Don't Preach, um, Open Your Heart. Basically, the first four songs of the album, mm-hmm. plus True Blue, I could definitely see putting into rotation. The rest of it, I could probably just do without. Yeah, yeah. Madonna's been always like a sing along for me. So, you know, the playlist that I have where I'm, you know, in the car singing, Open Your Heart. Yeah, that's one. Sure. Um, Lich Tell. Yeah. Sure, but like, I feel like this is an album that, like, if you were compiling like a Spotify playlist, um, this would be a pick and choose. This would not be. Oh yeah. This would not be like, like for me, like Abbey Road, for example, just to kind of use that reference again. Like I could just put the whole album on a shuffle playlist, and no matter where it picks up, it's enjoyable. But like with this, if I put this fucking song on a <laughs> on a shuffle playlist and the first fucking song that comes on Jimmy, is Jimmy. Jimmy Jimmy, I'll punch myself in the face because I'll be real mad. I'm making you a playlist. I'm gonna. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna make a playlist for this episode. Oh, that's true. And it's gonna be on there. And I hope that none of you punch yourselves in the face when Jimmy Jimmy is the first track that you get. But I digress. Well, before um, before we move on from all of this Madonna, um, there is that treat that is the Papa Don't Preach video. Ooh, boy. Yeah, we, we took the chance to watch that last we week did. together. And I mean, I watched it at a time and um, laughed at the 80s-ness of it. Danny Aiello. Yeah. I knew the guy looked familiar and I, just... I didn't place it until I watched it again, you know, at, right now. Oh, I just, (laughs) the video, if you've never seen it, is very 80s. There's a whole lot of walking, like a whole lot of walking, up and down steps that don't look safe. They don't even have a railing. I don't know. Kind of like Pittsburgh stairs. That's true. We have some pretty serious stairs. Stairs to fucking nowhere. Yeah. Don't fall in the street, because you'll die. Um... (laughs) Yeah, there's there's that, and then there's the treat of um, Madonna in the boat with her with her guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's the Madonna in the rain look with her short hair, and you know. See, and that that was a point that I made when we watched the video was like, when she's supposed to be like being cutesy and attractive to this this guy that's gonna be inevitably be her baby daddy. She just looks like, she looks like a boy, like with the haircut, and she always looks just damp. 
<laughs> but then like moist. <laughs> but then when they show her like as Madonna, like all glam and stuff, she's like so like Marilyn Monroe glam, and it's just such a weird. Yeah, it's a weird like flip flop dynamic. Oh, I like, agree. So I mean, I definitely thought that that was. I mean, the video suits. It suits it for sure. Oh, definitely. I, I would. I would say, you know. Uh, so, you know, let, take a little break from from the '80s for a minute and uh, get into a segment that we like to call earworms. Um. So, I've had some interesting ones this week. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, for some reason, um, I've just been really getting back into bad religion. Yeah. I don't know why. I might have to go back and just pop through their catalog. Uh, specifically, the song uh, Supersonic and Epiphany have been really popping out to me lately like i've been listening to them a lot for hmm. some weird reason and uh what else did i listen to just the other day um i was going back through some of the newer singles from an artist by the name of joji i think i've played some stuff by him for you before i think so um he's kind of like a like a lo-fi r&b rap act he's pretty good um but he's been releasing singles because he has an album a new album coming out in september and uh just recently i think last week sometime uh he just put out a new single so ever since that came out i've kind of been going back and just kind of leafing through his other singles so yeah, well, I have two um, kind of specific songs that were stuck in my head this week. Um, <clears throat> the one is Ash, Moral of the Story, and it's um, a song that's on my playlist and comes up a lot, um, and it's fun to sing. Her voice is... I don't know how to describe it, but it, I, I like her voice. I don't think I've ever heard of her. Okay, you'll have to listen to the song. Definitely. Um, I don't know if she has any other music. I mean, I think I just heard this somewhere and stuck it on my playlist, and um, I really like it. And uh, one that I'm a little less... <laughs> my daughter likes Doja Cat, the Say So song. Yeah. And I can't I can't get... When I think Doja Cat, I can just keep thinking of the, the, the moo. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know what? It It's a catchy song, honestly. Oh, definitely. And it's like, when you when you look at the catchiness of it, it's right up there with like a, like a Halsey or, you know, something in that vibe. So, I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, I think this one, it's definitely been an earworm. Like, yeah. it just gets stuck. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like one of the ones from last week, or last episode, I should say, uh, Party in the USA. <laughs> I can't get away from it. I turned the car on the other day to go to work, and it was the very first song that turned on when I put the turned the car on. I was like, okay, all <laughs> right. Did I change the channel? No. 
because you don't change the dial on Miley. <laughs> well, nobody should be partying in the USA right now unless they're six feet apart. That's true. Or unless you're wearing a mask. Yeah. Or if you're in a bubble. That's true. Party bubbles. Huh. Interesting. Anyway. <laughs> so. All right. So I guess it's my turn. It is your turn. Um, okay. So Josh gave me Purple Rain, which I knew was coming. Um, I don't know how. I just had the feeling because we've talked about Prince before and I know that you're a huge fan. I am a very big Prince fan. Um, so as soon as you said that one, I kind of cringed. And the only reason, <laughs> I mean, once I started doing this, you know, deep dive, it kind of made me examine, like, why I was, I mean, I was never, like, against, you know, listen to Prince, but it just was never, um, he was never really on my radar. Right. And I, I keep thinking, like, back to the 80s and what I was exposed to, and it obviously wasn't something that... I think my parents would have wanted me to listen to. Oh, no. I would hope <laughs> um, not. Yeah, I do remember When Doves Cry, just because I feel like it was, I don't know, music video, maybe in movies or something. I, I'm just trying to think of where I would have heard it. Probably MTV. Probably. But anyway, um, yeah, so what sticks in my head about Prince is the 90s Prince, you know, specifically Diamonds and Pearls. <laughs> And that's because, you know, that's when I started to listen to my own music. Right. And got a lot of, you know, um, a lot of exposure to things from the radio. I was going to say, I mean, like, Diamonds and Pearls got <gasps> so much mainstream radio play that, like, it made anybody sick of that song. Yeah, I remember from the radio, and I remember from MTV, and from school dances, and right. well, roller skating rink for couple skates. It was Diamonds and Pearls. So it was just too fucking much Diamonds and Pearls. Right. So every time I saw Prince, it was just like, oh, God, not again. Right. So I think now I obviously appreciate um, Prince a lot more just, you know, due to his um, contributions to music. Oh, for sure. And yeah, the influences he's had on other, other artists and everything. Um, but I've still, you know, before this was just a fan of hits. Right. And, I mean, that's fair. Because Prince... I mean, well, first of all, Prince has so many. Well, his hits were big hits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like they were, like, kind of hits. It was like, okay, like, when, when that song comes on, you're like, oh, shit, it's Prince. Like, And, I mean, I definitely felt that here because the, the few hits that, that I was really familiar with, I mean, they're... Oh, yeah. They're pretty big, so... Um, so about, about the actual album, it was Prince's sixth studio album that came out in 1984, and it was the first album where it featured the revolution. Um, so in, in the title or in the album or in the whole album? On I wasn't album, sure because I, 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 I wasn't hundred percent sure. On that. Yeah. Um, it was the first one that they, they listed that they were, um, on the album and there were a few oh, songs okay. that were just Prince singing on this album but gotcha okay yeah um so critics said it was musically denser than prince's um previous albums because it featured more more full band performances and like different layers of instruments so like the layers of guitars and keyboards and you know synthesizers and stuff so um 
I thought that was interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, obviously, the soundtrack of Mer- the movie Purple Rain, which I have not seen yet. We're going <laughs> to... We'll we're dive gonna into do, that. We're definitely going to do um, that. But, yeah. So, the soundtrack of that, and it is regarded as one of the most pop-oriented albums of Prince's career. So, we were talking earlier about how Prince kind of dances the line of multiple genres. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Prince is such... First of all... As a musician, in general, Prince was a phenom. I mean, like, he was a great guitar player, bass player, piano player, drummer. I mean, like, yeah. he, he did it all. Right. So, like, you know, he had the ability to to break down the barriers between genres even on one album, right? You can hear it. I mean, this is a good example. I mean, it, this this one goes all over the place. So, yeah. Well, this album seemed to be like the biggest one up till this point because it was the first of Prince's albums to reach number one on the Billboard 200, where it spent 24 weeks consecutively at the top. Oh wow! And it was present on the chart for 122 weeks. So then that's over two years. Yeah, that's. Um, That's impressive. So, yeah. May, um, May 1996, the album was certified 13 times platinum. So that's a lot. 20, 25 million copies sold. So it's also the best-selling Prince album of all time. Um, they said it also... Yeah, the first album with the Re- revolution, but they teased the name on the 1999 album two years earlier. Right. Writing the revolution backwards on the album cover. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because I feel like... I remember the revolution being a big part of 1999. Yeah. So, and I, I remember listening to a podcast that was like solely about the recording and release of that album. And, you know, they did have a lot to do. I mean, but like they were all friends. Yeah. They all knew each other very well. So right. like, you know, that wasn't strange for them to have finally gotten recognized as his backing band right um yeah so it was one of first uh the first of prince's albums to include any live recordings and one of the most successful soundtracks ever so not just you know prince's album but one of the most successful soundtracks um frequently ranked as one of the greatest albums of all time um i feel like everything i read just kept listing all of the um all the charts, all the, you know, I don't want to say awards, but you know what I mean. All the, you know, best of this, best of that. Well, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it. this is another thing where, <clears throat> another instance where it's not even just multi-genre, but it's, it's multi-format because, like, it's not just a, an, a general music album. It's a movie soundtrack. It's, you know... The full composition is just so unique. Right. So I, that, that's very interesting, though. Um, yeah, so it was reissued again in 2017. It was the first Prince album that they remastered and reissued. And, and 2017 was an ex- quite the expanded version. Oh, yeah. Released oh, yeah. multiple discs, I believe. Yeah. If you look it up on Spotify, I think uh, the reissued, remastered is like... 20-something tracks. Yeah, I thought I remembered seeing, like, when I looked at the track list, because I wanted to see where, you know, broke for <laughs> tape. 
Um, but it was hard to find, like, the original track list, except on Spotify. Um, just because everything was focused on the remastered right. the extras. Well, yeah, because, you know, it, it was a lot of stuff from the Paisley Park vaults that, like, had never seen a recording right. prior to that. So they made a huge deal about it. Yeah. So to add to all of those, you know, accolades that the, that the album got, in 2010, it was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. In 2012... Um, it was added into the Library of Congress's natural, National Recording Registry of, like, important albums. Which Jeez. I'm interested to see, like, what else. But um, we'll go into some of that later in the songs, because a lot of the songs are, you know, chart toppers and, and such. The one thing that I, I had to look up a little bit about was Purple Rain. Like, what's the meaning? Because maybe it's in the movie. Didn't see it yet. But, um... In one of the interviews, I think Prince was talking about, and there's blood in the sky, red and blue is purple. And purple rain, um, people were saying, pertains to something about the end of the world and being with the one you love and letting um, letting everything guide you through the purple rain. I mean, it's nice visual. I don't know yeah. how much of it. But there's also a theme of purple, like, through a few of the songs. Yeah, well, I mean, and then, of course, inevitably that's what he becomes most famous for is being the purple one exactly you know i mean that's that's his namesake essentially right and i mean purple has a lot of significance in different contexts oh purple's you know? a, a color of royalty exactly. so i mean like you know right so i guess now we'll go into the tracks and it starts out real big because let's go crazy it's the first track and i actually didn't realize what this was called but i think everyone probably knows this track it's a great song because it starts with one of the most famous intros yeah and probably i don't want to say any song but it's up there oh yeah definitely um, yeah as, as soon as that daily beloved we are gathered <laughs> here today yeah that's just one of those that you you know you know right away Right, you're like, oh, here we go. And it's classic Prince. I mean, you just, you know. Well, yeah, because then you get through that spoken word section, and it just, just plows right into heavy synth and drum beat and. Right, yeah. So this one was Prince and the Revolution, um, on the track, and I'll just mention that because there were a few tracks that were just Prince. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it was Prince's second number one hit from the album, and. Like I said, second. It, yeah. Really. Yeah, that's what it says. Hmm. Um, it opened with one of the most recognizable intros in pop history, because it opens the album, and I guess it opens the film. I haven't seen it. Yeah, um, it does. But yeah, like like you were mentioning, it opens with an organ solo where he's um, giving a speech about this thing called life. You know, dearly beloved, we're gathered here today. Um, so that's you know an iconic intro, especially in you know, the pop. 80s, pretty much everything. Um, the song's known for two different guitar solos by Prince. And I think the message behind it, a lot of it is, you know, ur urging us to see things more positively. And part of that was some of the lyrics, like, if you don't like the world you're living in, take a look around, at least you got friends. Um, yeah, and I think it also has a message of positivity towards other people in it. Because right. it's kind of like, just look out for each other and be cool to each other. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the vibe that you get. Right. 
Because, like, it almost, when they're saying, like, let's go crazy, it's almost like saying, like, let's knock down the walls of hatred and, like, just chill. Enjoy this thing called life together. Yeah. Yeah, the one thing that that I read in some of the um, articles was about how Prince alludes to, like, the devil in some songs. They were talking about, you know, are we going to let the elevator bring us down, which is, you know like the metaphor for hell yeah exactly um so yeah it's how he refers to in several other places i guess they also said in like another album he called it spooky electric so there were a few things where he would yeah yeah and uh, another thing that's interesting just going back to 1999 Mm -hmm. even the title track for 1999 is a very similar track in the sense that like it's a track about like just you know the end of the world but just be cool to each other and let's just party until it's done and like a lot of the stuff that he writes it's like it comes to him in dreams like he used to say that like he would keep books like notebooks and stuff nearby and he would wake up in the middle of the night and just write stuff down so I mean this could have been yeah this could have been one of those yeah, so I feel like there's like a religious undertone on a lot of the, the songs, and you Absolutely. and I had talked about about that before. Um, yeah, there was also this weird reference to a purple banana. Let's look for the purple banana until they put us in the truck. I was like, what the <laughs> heck does that mean? So there was that, and then there was this other part that I kind of dove a little deeper on where it said, pills, thrills, and daffodils will kill. I'm like, daffodils will kill? Apparently daffodils are poisonous. Really? Um, yeah, so I learned something new about that. There's two different toxic things in daffodils, and apparently <laughs> daffodils are known as the cold killers of the cut flower world, where if you put them in a vase with other flowers, <laughs> it will cause them to wilt and die. So, um, I mean, they're cut flowers, so they're dead anyway. But And this week on Botany Corner, <laughs> we're talking about daffodils, everyone. Well, I mean, it was just a weird reference. Like, it is weird. Pills, thrills, and daffodils will kill. I was like, hmm. So, yeah, watch out for the daffodils. <laughs> Moving on to track two, <laughs> on that note. Um, track two is Take Me With You, and that's, again, Prince and the Revolution. Um, it was the final single released from Purple Rain, and it was a, it originally intended for Apollonius Six, who was a protege of Prince. Right. Um, but they pulled the song for the Purple Rain soundtrack. Track. Soundtrack. Yeah. Soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was a duet with Apollonia. Um, can't read what I said the last name was. But it's... You know what? It's Apollonia. You don't even need it. Okay. If yeah. you say the name Apollonia to people that like, that, like that Prince. know Prince, okay. you don't need any more than that. Yeah, so this one, I mean, I like this song. It was, you know, the lyrics were just kind of simple. I don't care where we go. I don't care what we do. I don't care, pretty baby. Just take me with you. So, I mean, it was a... A sweet song. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a sweet song, and I, I like the the musical work. Yeah. In it, it's it's very like uh, almost like a light poppy kind of rock. Yeah, it was definitely a good follow for the second track after "Let's Go Crazy." Oh yeah. Um, moving on to track three, "The Beautiful Ones," and that one was just Prince. It was one of the three songs on the album that he arranged, composed, and performed. Um, the other two were "When Doves Cry" and "Darling Nikki." So when I think of him, like, 
arranging, composing, performing. Like I think of like Prince over here, Prince over there. <laughs> like he's everywhere. You just think of Prince like in the studio with like a bass drum on his back and like cymbals between his knees, like yeah, playing like a trumpet and like strumming a guitar. I want to say there was a Bugs Bunny like cartoon where he was like over here, over there. Like it was kind of like that in my head. <laughs> um, yeah, the song was rumored to be written for Susanna Mel. Mellowin? I'm not sure. I can't read my writing again. Um, his twin sister was a member of the revolution. Ah. However, during a 2015 interview, Prince revealed that the song was written for Denise Matthews, who's known as Vanity, his one-time protege and girlfriend, who he created a band around her called Vanity Six. And she supposedly inspired some of his early hits. Yeah, and that's, that's another thing that you'll notice throughout this this album in general but then like throughout his whole career prince has so many fucking protégés <laughs> like, i thought you were going to say girlfriends <laughs> oh yeah i mean the dude had a ton of girlfriends but like i don't know but like he had so many musical protégés <laughs> that like that he created because he just wanted to keep making music yeah outside of but like he wanted to make so much music and he had so much like musical talent in his body that he had to just but like he didn't want to do it being the star if that makes sense oh, like yeah. some of them like some of them like um i think for both apollonia and vanity 6 when he helped produce their first albums like he played a lot of the backing music on it so like he gets credits for that but right. that was what he wanted he wanted to help these people have a music career and shine the best way that he could which was by helping them out and playing their music right so and like a lot of the time when he would go on tour he would take them all with him so like his tours would be like giant <laughs> it would be like sheila e the revolution prince and the revolution the time apollonia vanity i mean like he would take all of his it would be the whole family <laughs> like going on tour which when you really think about it had to be a pretty impressive tour oh yeah because like you're essentially just watching prince play in like six bands <laughs> like it's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. That would be, like, the equivalent of seeing, like, Nirvana and the Foo Fighters. <laughs> that's true. Like, that that's what I could relate it to, you know, as a more, like, rock-related kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah, so this track, the album version was cut slightly, so a longer version exists. I felt there was this neediness in this track, like... You know, the, the lyrics were, you know, baby, 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 what's it going to be? Is it him or is it me? There's a lot of babies. Yeah. A little overly baby for yeah. my taste. But, you know, whatever. There were some lines like, you were so hard to find. The beautiful ones, they hurt you every time. Sometimes you lose, sometimes you win. So it seemed like, you know, this almost neediness towards who he wrote it for. I'm trying to think. Was this the track where it was pretty stripped down and it was... Uh, almost like sung in a very like monotone yeah i think so 
Yeah, it almost it sounds like a like a track of desperation yeah. almost where it's like you know, he's trying to figure out what's going on in his current love life. Right. Yeah, it didn't really seem to have like the confidence and stuff that the other tracks did. I mean, I know that was by design. Right. But yeah, it definitely was one that I was just like, eh. Because of that, I think it just wasn't one that stood out and followed two that I really liked. Yeah, but I, I feel like I feel like we're gonna have to come back to this when we once we watch. Oh yeah, Purple Rain, because like I feel like sometimes these these little like fluff segue songs make more sense when you can associate them with video yeah <clears throat> yeah that's what you said I, I was thinking that there was probably some significance to how it fit into the movie yeah all right so the next track is computer blue which again is prince and the revolution um that one was kind of interesting because it it didn't seem to like fit with the others just because it was kind of experimental it seemed um what i read was there was songwriting input from one of the revolution members dr fink uh-huh um, and he borrowed a bridge section from his unreleased father's song, which I guess is on the Purple Rain reissue for his father, who was a jazz musician. So the song begins with spoken lyrics by Wendy and Lisa, who are revolution members, uh, suggesting some sort of lesbian relationship or something like that. And All right. All right. yeah, so there's like an allu- alluded to that. But whenever I read an interview where they were saying you know there wasn't really any goal or whatever behind it Prince just gave them a piece of paper with stuff written on it and asked them to say these things so it wasn't meant to be like sexual like wasn't in any context Um, so yeah there what I read was that it's kind of experimental because there was screaming and heavy synth and guitars and the lyrics were about relationships between humans and computers. It only has one verse. And the original cut was 14 minutes, but was edited down for the album. Um, the one verse that stuck out for me was, Where is my love life? Where can it be? There must be something wrong with the machinery. That was an interesting track. I mean, I don't quite know what they were going for, but... Yeah, but I mean, when you put it into the, the context of, again, the movie, of the movie, <laughs> but not even just the movie, but I was gonna say the context of like, modern technology, right? You know, I mean, like, I think it would be an interesting to be able to go back to like the technology of the eighties and and, you know, see this through that way. That would know. be interesting. Because it's, you know, computers were a lot different back then. Well, yeah. They, first of all, they were bigger. <laughs> now we have them in our pockets. Yeah. Every day. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, yeah, so it was just an interesting chat about, like, humans and then computers, machines, I guess. Um, so next we have Darling Nikki. And that one is probably... <laughs> it's obviously one that I was not allowed to listen to as a child. Um <laughs> It's notor it's notorious um due to the sexual lyrics. 
and the explicit references to female masturbation. What? I know, right? No. Prince writing a song about a woman pleasuring herself? I know. How dare you? In a hotel lobby with a magazine? No way. I was trying to... I was like, with the magazine? Or with the magazine? I don't know. <laughs> like, did she just roll it up and just, and just hike them? Or was she like looking at a magazine yeah i was like was it a dirty magazine or was it like national geographic or national geographic naturally i mean i totally get turned on by like scientific stuff sure yeah it was a (laughs) rock special so it was just all all rocks geodes geodes (laughs) yeah (laughs) um yeah, so a lot of Prince's sex-related songs kind of went unnoticed because they weren't either weren't released as singles or weren't as overtly explicit. Um, this kind of made me laugh because <clears throat> what I did read was how the the Parent Music Resource Center, which the PMR PR PMRC, considered it the number one on the Filthy Fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> and like I, now I want to know oh the filthy 15 is pretty easy to find online and the only one that I saw that I recognized was you know Twisted Sister oh yeah yeah for violence <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny um, this song alone was pretty much why there was um, the parental advisory sticker on it so Obviously, the stories of a sex fiend named Nikki. What? I know, right? Um, but beneath the obvious sexual overtone of it, the song seems to be partially about his battle between sexuality and religion. Um, right. So Nikki's said to be a personification of the devil. And what I kind of got out of that was there's, you know, sign on the dotted line, which, you know, is like a deal with the devil, which made me think of Devil Went Down to Georgia. Like, I don't know. Um, Sorry, I'm listening, but I'm looking up the Filthy 15 because oh, yeah. I'm very interested in oh, it. Of course you are. You make a playlist based on the Filthy 15. I might. <laughs> um, yeah, so <clears throat> some of the lyrics in there. Thank you for a funky time. Call me up whenever you want to grind. I, I kind of feel a little dirty listening to it. Oh, yeah. Like, this and, is... <clears throat> yeah, and when I read the lyrics, because some of it was, you know, hard to understand, it was, you know... Okay, so I found the Filthy 15. Let's see here. I just like the uh, the listing of it. I thought it was kind of funny. The Filthy 15. Here we go. Uh, number one, Prince, Darling Nikki. Lyrical content, sex slash masturbation. No. Right? Number two, hmm, interesting, Sheena E., Sugar Walls, Lyrical Content, Sex. Number number three, Judas Priest, Eat Me Alive. Lyrical Content, Sex and Violence. (laughs) Hmm. Another interesting one here. Vanity. (laughs) Are we noticing a trend here? Oh, definitely. I mean, with a song called Strap On Robbie Baby, I mean, you can't... (laughs) You can't really not know that that's about sex. Um, number five, Motley Crue, Bastard, Violence and Language, which, how many songs 
are about violence and have strong language in them. I don't know how that one specifically, but okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going with this list, is how did they choose these specific ones, but maybe they were released at a certain time. Or... Motley, or no, uh, number six is ACDC. Um, if the title Let Me Put My Love Into You doesn't tell you it's a song about sex, you're dumb. Uh, oh yeah, here we go. Number seven, Twisted Sister. We're not going to take it for violence. I don't... That's I don't, not a particularly violent song. I don't get it. Uh, oh, Madonna, number eight, Dress You Up. It's a song about sex. No shit. What? Weird. Uh, number nine is Wasp. Band Wasp. Animal. Fuck Like a Beast. <laughs> right there in the title right there in the title weird how how a title like that is a song that has sex language and violence uh <laughs> number 10 is Def Leppard High and Dry Saturday Night a song about drug and alcohol use huh uh number 11 Merciful Fate Into the Coven it's a song about the occult I don't know how that could have possibly ended up on here. That seems like the least offensive thing <laughs> out of all the other ones on this list. Uh, number 12, Black Sabbath, Trashed, which is a song about drug and alcohol abuse. Um, the Number 13 is The Mary Jane Girls, <laughs> a song called In My House, which is about sex. Weird. Okay. Number 14, a song by the band Venom called Possessed. If if the title Possessed doesn't signify occult to you, again, you're dumb. And then uh, rounding out the list at number 15, Cindy Lauper, interestingly enough. Shebop. Shebop. About sex and masturbation. I couldn't have gotten that from the title. No way. <laughs> when was this list published? That's yeah. That's what I didn't know. Uh, let's see here. PMRC was an American committee formed in 1985. Uh, actions. Here we go. Yeah, I know that they were like around a while because I know there's a No Effects song called PMRC can suck on this didn't make their list <laughs> yeah i mean they were it's definitely a list of the 80s i can imagine what the list right now would be the the group was uh shut down in the mid to late 90s so okay. i guess i could understand how no effects could end up on there yeah well i don't think they were in the list but i think that they were i mean they didn't get any radio play really so they weren't you know the same as these other bands but you know Anyway. Anyway, so that was a little diversion of the... Sorry, it just was... The Filthy 15. It just... When you say something like the Filthy 15, I'm intrigued. Oh, I laughed for like 10 minutes when I, when I saw that, because it was just... It sounded funny. I could imagine myself saying the Filthy 15 on this, and I knew you were going to... Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Look out for that. Uh, I might actually include the Filthy 15. We could have a Filthy 15 episode sometime. <laughs> that would be interesting. Maybe. We'll see. All right. So back to the song. Um, yeah. So the the brine part was just like, I don't know. 
there was lyrics that were kind of under the music. You couldn't really hear them, but, you know, your dirty prince wants to grind. And there was a whole bunch of grinds, like, in that mm-hmm. that line. I was like, <laughs> but yeah. anyway. Plus, in the, in the background of, of the song, you get that, like... <laughs> literal like metal grinding noise <laughs> which just adds into it and you're just like oh god so much grinding so much grinding somebody throw some water on it it's gonna need lubed up at some point but what i thought found the most interesting about this is that it ends with back masked vocals which i didn't know what that meant so i had to go and do a little research on what that means and basically it was music that sounded like a choir singing some bizarre foreign language when you play it forwards, it just sounds <clears throat> it sounds strange. But when it's played backwards, you can hear the choir singing, Hello, how are you? I'm fine, because I know that the Lord is coming soon. Coming, coming soon. What? Yeah. Apparently, this isn't the only place where the um, backmasked vocals are, but I couldn't seem to find on Purple Rain where else they were. Listen again, because it sounds like gibberish. But it says, like, if you have a computer that you can reverse the digital music with, you'll hear it. Weird. And I bet we could find it on YouTube. Probably. Later on. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. And it said that the backmask vocals were also used in other songs on Purple Rain. But I don't know where. And subsequent albums. Huh. And lastly, the song was covered by the Foo Fighters. Which I thought was interesting. What? Yeah, look oh, it up. Oh, man, I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> so we got some, some post-podcast uh, research to be doing here. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so I didn't particularly like that song, but I felt it had a lot of significance with the rest of the album and um, just Prince in general because there was a lot of, you know, the backmass vocals thing was kind of cool. And just because it's 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 classic Prince just being himself well yeah i mean it's just raunchy sex yeah which you know i i can appreciate now sure as a child i don't know as a child like yeah i touched myself song just gave me the the (laughs) heebie-jeebies i would i would dread the days when like that kind of stuff would come on the radio when i was in the car with my parents i'll never forget i'm too sexy came on and my mom was pretending it wasn't on and all of a sudden we was like i'm too sexy for my cat and she's like oh hell no and she (laughs) changed it and i will never forget it's like it's like the equivalent (laughs) of when you're watching a movie with your family oh yeah and then like a sex scene comes on and you're just mortified you're just like oh no yeah yeah, so, you know, I had to sit there and pretend I didn't know what the song was about. Right. And I was like, just, just sit still. Don't laugh. You know? So, yeah. Um, okay, so next is When Doves Cry. And that's a song that I think I've always known. And always one I've liked. Um, it's such a good song. I mean... Oh, yeah. It's it's easily, I think, one of his strongest Oh, yeah. I think songs. it's one of the most well-known ones that obviously is in Purple Rain. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, the thing that I found interesting about this one is that this song was composed after all the other tracks were already completed. Um, this one only features Prince, and there's no bass line, so it was like kind of an unconventional music to it. Um, this one had a bunch of accolades, too. Like, Prince, uh, it was his first Billboard Hot 100 number one hit, and it was number one for five weeks. It was number one on the Billboard Year-End Hot 100 singles of 94, or 
commentary of Purple Rain, like it was discussed how the director asked Prince to write a song to match the theme of a particular part of the movie. The next morning, Prince had two different songs composed, and this was one of them. Huh. Rolling Stone also listed this as number 52 of 500 greatest songs of all time. And I think that's where I read that there was only one song of the 80s that was higher than Prince's. And I want to say it was The Message. So, like, that's pretty significant, I think, to be almost the highest 80s one. And, I mean, of any, I think that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I thought that was, um, I mean, it's a pretty big hit, obviously. Um, it was sampled in MC Hammer's Prey, which I realize now. Huh. I never really realized, but you know, if you go back and listen, and you'll you'll hear it. Yeah. But anyway, it was one of the few samples that he had proved himself. Um, I guess other times people have tried to sample or whatever without, you know, his permission. Um, there's a cover version by Genuine too, so I'm gonna have to look that up. <laughs> I know what? how you. I know how you love covers. I do love covers. Oh man. So yeah, the, the, we got some post uh, podcast work to do. <sighs> I'll tell you what, I actually might include the covers on the Spotify playlist if it's available on Spotify. <laughs> Alright, so I remember the video, and I don't remember them. I don't know, There's the, the video was said to be too explicit for TV. I don't remember. But again, there's a lot of videos that I remember turning off because I was, didn't want my parents to see them. Here I Go Again by Whitesnake. That one was always like, oh god. He was nude in a bathtub and then crawling around all over the floor. <laughs> nude, just writhing. <laughs> okay, explicit. Too explicit. Es explicit. Got too, it. Too explicit, too illicit. Message received. <laughs> Noted. Alright, so <laughs> in the lyrics <laughs> This is what all our conversations are pretty much like. Oh. For anyone that doesn't personally know us. <laughs> if you guys could have heard the warm up recordings oh, for goodness. this episode, uh you would understand why we're extra giggly right now. <laughs> Alright, so <laughs> the lyrics. Prince seems to contrast doves who are peaceful animals with like the behavior of lovers arguing and having, you know, contention. But the lyrics I really liked. And there was another reference to something purple in this, because dream if you can, a courtyard, an ocean of violence and bloom. Purple, again. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting because um, he uses the, the purity of doves like to signify love yeah. in this song, but he references the animalistic nature of human beings like throughout. Right. Yeah, that's even in that same verse where they're talking about animal strike curious poses. They feel the heat between me and you. So right. that's like an animal attraction. Yeah. And, you know, talking about um Yeah, how can you leave me standing alone in a world so cold? Like that whole part. Why do we scream at each other? So, yeah, I see that. And, like, 
they're talking about, you know, even doves have pride, so, like, they're peaceful creatures, but they're not going to stare around and listen to all that bullshit. Right. Right. <laughs> anyway, so that, I think that was one of the, my favorite tracks from the album. Just because I know I liked that one before, and, you know, the, the music to it. Oh, the yeah. Beat. I mean, it just, but when you, when you actually, when you said that this was one that he recorded on his own and I had never really thought about that until you said it out loud. But it makes sense because, I mean, you know, the the beat is a drum machine. Yeah. You know, it's got synthesizer, which can be looped and recorded. So really the only thing that he would have to lay down live would be any of the... The vocals. The vocals or the guitar work. Or both, I guess. So yeah. So... Yeah. It's interesting that that he recorded that by himself. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that like when he mentioned writing it when he was told that you know the the night to come up with some songs like the next day. Oh yeah, I mean, and that was one thing that they always said that he was a very prolific writer. Like if he was given the task of writing a song, he could have five songs by by the next day but like overnight number one hit right <laughs> right like he just went home and he was like nah, i'm gonna write this song and then it's a fucking number one and yeah you're like oh i mean that's that's you know a testament to like his talent yeah and i don't think like listening to his music that you really get the effect of like his songwriting and everything because unless you dig a little deeper right um i mean that takes talent all right, <clears throat> so next song is I Would Die For You. Another uh, great song. I did like that song. Um, it's Prince and the Revolution, and that one reached number eight in the Hot 100. Um, the lyrics were interesting because they mentioned, like, I'm not a woman, I'm not a man, I'm something you'll never understand. I'm not your lover, I'm not your friend, I'm something you'll never comprehend. Right. So that kind of hints both at Prince's, like, gender nonconformity, how, you know, he didn't really, he, I mean, he was experimental with genders a long time before right. other artists that I remember. Right. And in a time when it wasn't as well accepted. But also, some of the stuff I read said that this kind of hints at, you know, the religious aspect of a lot of his songs, um, almost talking in God's point of view you know, reiterating the message that Jesus told people that he would die for them. Cover version. Nick Jonas has a cover version on his Facebook page. Stop. What? That's what it says, and oh, I did not man. get a chance to verify that myself, but I figured I would leave that for a treat for us later. So, Josh is a big cover fan. <laughs> I am. Well established. Well established. All right, so I did enjoy that track. Um, the one thing though, the track, the track names with the, the number four and the letter U, it just, it, now it's funny because like the, the texting aspect of things. Like, that is I'm kind like, of funny. Um, when you, when you put it into like yeah, the he was, current times. Yeah. He was like texting before. <laughs> right. Like I can't waste that extra Y and the O and the, nope. the letters. Nope. Keep it simple. Yeah. All right. So two more tracks. Baby, I'm a star. That's Prince and Revolution again. 
that was the B-side of the single Take Me With You. Um, there was a cover version by Tina Turner. Hmm. I didn't find a lot about this song, and I didn't really find myself like that it stood out much from the other song. Yeah. Um, kind of a filler. Um, I could tell in the beginning of the track there was like a hint of Raspberry Beret, like the little bit of the music like from that track. Yeah. So it is classic Prince music uh, in the background. Yeah, so cover version by Tina Turner, sampled in P. Diddy's song, Special Feeling. Um, it it kind of just made me realize like how well-received Prince is in a lot of different genres to hear like where he's sampled. Right. And like, you know, how far-reaching his, his music has gone. Right. That brings us to the title track, Purple Rain. Um, it was originally written as a country song. Um, for collaboration with Stevie Nicks, who actually um, turned it down after hearing 10-minute instrumental that Prince had sent, and he requested that she help write lyrics. Basically, she said, she said this is too much for me. Like, it, she didn't want to take on the challenge because it was just a big thing, and I think she knew that it was, like, a big thing. What? Yeah. That would have, first of all... That would have been a wild track. Oh, yeah. If they would have actually done that collaboration. But I think from what I read, she's just like, I can't do this. This is this is too much. Wow. So after that, Prince changed the tone of the song after Wendy, one of the Revolution members, played some guitar chords. So I guess it changed from the country-ish version to what we know now. It was 144 on Rolling Stone's list of 500 greatest songs of all time. I'm kind of interested to know how many of the songs would be princes on that list. Might I mean, have to look into that later. Yeah, because I mean, these definitely, definitely these two, but I'm not sure. I can't think of any other that were like this big. Of, Historic well, of his songs. Yeah, I don't know when the list was either. Like the 500 of all time. Like how up to date is that? Yeah. But either way, I'm interested to know how many would be his. Um, let's see. It opens with a lone guitar, followed by drumming and a grand piano almost church-like um again purple theme the what i read here was they were saying not only purple is the color of royalty but it's a color of spiritual fulfillment right and the lyrics here are actually they're kind of simple lyrics but they're almost poetic in the way that he delivers them you know, I never meant to cause you any sorrow. I never meant to cause you any pain. I only wanted to see you laughing in the purple rain. So, I mean, it's almost poetic. Yeah. And, I mean, I see why, like, this one was so big. Now, the one thing that I found interesting, and you and I started to look into this last night, is... <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> so, when I, when I was reading about this, the one thing that kept coming up was, after he wrote the song, he contacted um, the Journey band <laughs> member Jonathan Kane and sent a copy of it and basically Prince recognized some similarities between um, Purple Rain and Faithfully. I guess they were saying the, the chords of the song, four chords or something, were similar. But there's a lot of stuff on YouTube where you can listen to both songs guys <laughs> this really messed with josh's this mind. fucked my shit up last night 
I went onto YouTube and I found a video of a guy playing uh, both songs on piano and he was putting up the lyrics on the screen while he was playing through them. And like when he seamlessly transitioned from Journey to Prince and it didn't sound like he transitioned the song at all, my brain fucking stopped. You were like that emoji where the brain's like... Yeah, yeah, like my... (laughs) Yeah, like I had to pick up the pieces off the wall. Like... I didn't know that was going to fuck your shit up so much. I didn't either, honestly. So that's all I have about the album. The tracks that I like the best. Um, Obviously, uh, When Doves Cry. Yeah. I mean, there's no... There's no reason. There's no contest there. Yeah. Let's go crazy. Yeah. I mean, because obvious, obvious reasons again. Um, I liked Take Me With You just because I felt like it was a positive song. Um, I was kind of growing on Computer Blue. It was kind of growing on me. Yeah. Because, you know, it's just different. And I Would Die For You. I mean, that one. That's a cool track. Right. Yeah. And Purple Rain. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. So it's probably in that order. That's cool, though. I mean, at least at least most of it was yeah. was cool. Yeah, and I mean, most of it was was the hits that I already knew, but I learned more about. So that just made me appreciate a bit more. Yeah. Um. So what else have you been listening to? Um, I know this week you and I were both listening to Krista makes the podcast. Yes. Um, that we you know, found after listening to Listen Jake last week. Yeah. And I really like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it, a really cool podcast. Yeah, it, it went into, you know, to a few of the songs that I really liked and a few artists that, you know, we learned some things about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely... I'm on the last episode now, so... Yeah, I, I definitely recommend it if you guys are looking for, you know, a more analytical, uh, you know, kind of behind-the-track Yeah, and I mean... Song he would have vibe thing... Yeah, he would have one song as the the focal point of an episode, but it's interesting, you know, where where we deep dive on, you know, from an outsider's point of view. Like as a musician, he has a really different right um, view of things. Right. Um, that's what I liked. Um, so yeah, I listened to a lot of that just to catch up to you. Yeah. Um, a few things that I wrote down for my Spotify because I was like, what the heck did I listen to this week? Because all I could think of was Purple Rain. Um, Motion City Soundtrack had a song that came up and as new on my Spotify, so Crooked Ways. I liked it. I liked it on Spotify, so it'll come up again. Nice. <clears throat> two, uh, two artists I was listening to this week, just um, here and there, The Bomb Pops, because it comes up a few times. I mean, you mentioned it. Yeah. Um, I think a couple music episodes that... Jen was in, right? Uh-huh. She was on Chris, Chris to Mix's podcast, and she yep. was on One Hit Thunder? Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, so there's just, like, a common theme of Bomb Pops. Yeah. Um, I really like them. They're dope. They're super dope. Yeah, I and really... I realized after listening that I don't listen to enough female music, female musicians. So. Yeah. Um, also, of Montreal, which it's a band that a couple of my friends seem to like. Um, the few songs I listen to almost reveal-esque oh. a little bit, like, just... I don't know, like a like a pop song, but also it just it it felt Beatles to me. Yeah. So um, I'll probably listen to them a little more. 
But additionally, um, I did my own little deep dive on B-52's Cosmic Thing. And the reason that I did was because um, that was one of the albums I was considering giving you, but I realized that I didn't really know as much as I wanted to. It was an album that I, you know, kind of discovered as I was older, but on to the only listen to the, the, the hit tracks. Right. So a lot of interesting stuff with them. That's cool. But yeah, I'm nerdy and like to like to do deep dives of music for fun. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so what about you? Uh, I went back through uh, and listened to Story of the Year's discography. Um, you know, after listening to us talk about it last week, I was like, you know what, let me go back and just give it a second listen. So I yeah. gave it a really deep listen through. And, I mean, they rock. They're, they're really damn good. I'm only familiar with the uh, Page Avenue. That right. After going through it. What, um, I don't listen to albums in order particularly, but what would you think, like, maybe that I should listen to next? Um, I would say probably the, the Black Swan is a really good album. And then their newest one, I believe it's called Wolves. That came okay. out in 2017. Okay. That was actually a really interesting one. It's it's a little different, but it's still pretty cool. Okay, yeah. I, I was thinking of listening a lot more yeah. of their stuff. Yeah, and then, again, I also listened to... Uh, Bad Religion. Bad Religion, <laughs> yes. And uh, the Krista Makes a Podcast. So I could say that was a little earwormy for me because he wrote the theme song for it and it's the catchiest fucking jingle I've ever heard. Hey, hey, have you heard? (laughs) Right? I like it too. It's, it was in my dream. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Yeah. Um, Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, As always, you can find us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram. And it's at S-I-M-H pod. And we're also on Facebook under Songs in My Head. Um, So feel free to check us out. Give us a follow. And um, be sure to look out in the notes for this episode on Spotify. Because I will be including a playlist with all the music that we talked about. And maybe a few bonus things here and there. (laughs) Um, The Filthy 15. The Filthy 15. So, you know, make sure you get out there and share your music and uh, keep an open mind, you know, because you might not know that something you're about to listen to might be something really cool. So thanks a lot, guys. Bye.